What are the most amazing running and hiking routes in the world? Who did them and how fast? Welcome to the exciting new world of fastest known time, commonly known as FKTs. This podcast is produced by fastestknowntime.com, a website where you find out what's new and cool, plus track FKT efforts taking place right now. On this podcast, we'll meet the remarkable athletes who have established some of the best FKTs, ask them how they did it, and find out what it means to them. And we won't waste any of your time. The Fastest Known Podcast delivers great info to you in just 30 minutes so you can get back to your run, which of course is more important. Welcome to the Fastest Known Podcast, where we talk to fun and interesting people in the world of fastest known times, where we learn and understand what motivates them, what they're doing, and what's cool, new, and unusual. I'm Buzz Burrell. And this week we're here with Sonny Stroyer, who's a adventure athlete. He has an amazing resume. It's, it's, it's so long that our 30 minutes would be taken up just by me listing it. But it goes from Aconcagua, including the summit and the circuit, to places in Nepal. And uh, your, your resume includes running races from uh, Rocky Raccoon and Western States 100 to climbing up to 510 and Yosemite and so forth. But I, I'm going to start off right here with what's on your website, and that's uh, sunnystroyer.com. And you can come to our show notes to find out the spelling of that and to track it down. But right in the front page, it says, Formerly a hard-charging strategy consultant, she turned her back on material possessions and career shortly after turning 30 in order to live in an astro van so she could run and climb full-time. So how'd that go, Sunny? How's that going for you? <laughs> Well, Buzz, that was, that was an interesting transition, particularly because I had a full-time corporate job back in Houston, Texas. I was working as a management consultant for about four years after getting my MBA at Harvard Business School. And when I made the decision that that was not what I wanted to do, but I'd much rather be a dirtbag athlete living in a van by the river, you can imagine how that conversation went with my colleagues who were all about the next promotion and the bigger car and the nice house and the white picket fence, right? So, Well, of course, for me, I'm just worrying about the Astrovan. Why not the Sprinter? I'm a little uh, shaken up well, by this also. I would have loved a Sprinter, but first off, I couldn't afford it I because see. I was paying back student loans with my corporate um, income that I had. I didn't have a lot in the bank, so I couldn't afford it, but also I felt like I just hadn't earned it yet. You know, I was a weekend warrior. I was running ultra races. I was climbing on the weekends, but... You know, I was climbing moderates, and I was running the occasional race and finishing, but I wasn't really racing so you to, only, to place. So you only rated an Ford Astrovan. You weren't quite ready for the Mercedes Sprinter. I wasn't ready for it, and I hadn't earned it. I see, I see. Well, with your looking at your resume, have you earned it now, or have you upgraded from the Astrovan? Well, we just did upgrade from the Astrovan, my husband and I. Um, however, not to a Sprinter. We uh, doubled the budget from $3,000 for an Astrovan to about $7,000 for an old Ford E350. Oh, and I, I just finished building that out. So, yes, it's an upgrade, but it's still not at the complete right. professional you're, level. You're, you're working your way up the adventure ladder here. Slowly but surely. <laughs> <laughs> well, terrific. And are you and your husband based out of Boulder then? We are currently based out of Boulder. However, we'll be on the road again full time starting at the end of September. So just a couple more weeks. At the end of September. Well, let's look at this. Uh, again, this resume is massive, so we'll just hit a few highlights here. 
um, Aconcagua, the highest mountain in the world outside of the Himals. And you've been down there, right? I have been down there. How did you like it? Well, I like altitude. I like elevation quite a bit. I, I do really well at elevation, but it's not very ascetic. I mean, to me, it was like, whoa, I'm, I'm coming here once. It has been called the uh, dump heap of South America. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's, um, for those who are not familiar, Aconcagua is in the border of Chile and Argentina. It is the highest mountain in the world mm -hmm. outside of Himalayas and one of the seven summits. Mm -hmm. And so it attracts a lot of attention from guides and groups and people want to bag a seven summit so there's this whole scene there at Plaza de Mulas the yeah. base camp and there's not a blade of grass anywhere in sight no not on the normal route anyway yeah it's it's not the prettiest mountain um, the reason that I sought it out and the reason that it's become an objective of mine or had become an objective of mine which I've thankfully since ticked off was that when I was a weekend warrior, I was looking to go on a big solo expedition. And I knew I was going to be doing it by myself. I didn't have partners who at the time to take off or the money to go anywhere. And I wanted to do something big, but I wanted to do something that seemed like it was pretty low on the objective hazard scale. And Aconcagua is just that, because you know, you know from being there, it's essentially a walk up all the way to the summit. It's a trail, literally, that takes you up to the summit. There's no technical difficulty. However, the environment is extreme. You right? could freeze to death. Oh yeah, you could freeze to death. It's also incredibly difficult to summit unless you're an altitude freak. However, there's so many people around that it seems like it's a relatively safe objective to do even by yourself with limited experience, as long as you're willing to exercise sound judgment and be open to learning. So, so you, you strategize again. It's, this, is a, this is a theme in our FKT podcast is the intelligent person. I mean, almost all of our, of our guests have not focused on the physical aspect, but they've, also, they've really told us the mental aspect. And you had a careful strategy here. You identified Aconcagua as being technically a walk-up, but if you make mistakes, if you don't plan it right, yeah. I mean, the winds, you know, El Viento Blanco is what they call the white wind. Yeah. It, you, people die up there every year. Yes, they do. Um, as a matter of fact, when I when I think about Aconcagua and about the other FKTs that I've pursued, I like to to differentiate between what I call acute risk and slow or strategic risk. So for me, um, I'm actually rather risk averse. I'm a complete chicken shit when it comes to rock climbing. That's one of the reasons that I don't climb much higher than five ten. Like I get scared. You know that moment when. It's on you, and you either stick the move or you don't. And if you don't, potentially the consequences are really bad. I don't like that situation, right? At the same time, while I don't like acute risk, I do like pushing my comfort zone and kind of going to the edge of what I think I can do. But I like doing it in an environment that's, yeah, that's threatening, but I have time to react, right? If something goes wrong, if weather moves in, if my gear fails, if I'm not fueled properly or whatever... I have time to react. It's not a split second, oh crap, you die, but you have minutes or hours trying to fix whatever is going wrong, right? So you're using, in a way, your strength, one of your strengths, besides physical, which is that you are an intelligent, uh, methodical person. So that's one of your strengths. Well, you know, based on my decision to quit a high-paying job and move into an astrovan, some people might dispute that. <laughs> But yes, I do like strategizing and, you know, that mental game aspect of trying to 
to pursue FKTs and to, for me, oftentimes pursue them unsupported is something that I quite enjoy. Well, again, I think folks should uh, go to our show notes so they could find out the domain, the URL for your website. And I can't list uh, your CV here, but it's Aconcagua, including uh, doing the circuit, which is rarely done, something I looked at doing, Kilimanjaro, uh, the Grand Teton, Mount Hood, Aconcagua three times. And then going back in February. (laughs) Yes. But let's shift the gear here a little bit and... And your uh, your resume is is you know strong, and complete for one of the for any great athlete. But one might note that you're also a woman, and so do you find that it's also different to make that shift uh, from the professional position, if you will, to the life of fame and fortune as a uh, FKT pursuer. Is this a little different for you, or is it okay? In a way, I think it's the same as in my old career, actually, Um, and just based on the fact that in my old career, being in big business, I was a minority as a woman, right? I worked in finance, and I worked in strategy consulting, and just as in some of the more extreme sports, there wasn't really um, gender equality, I'd say. So I was kind of used to um, seeing more guys around me than women. And that was actually one of the reasons that I decided to come back to Aconcagua again and again and again, because when I went there the first time, I went by myself, solo and unsupported, and I got a lot of very strange reactions, being like, wait, but where's your guide? Who are you with? Where's your husband? Right? I'm like, why? Why do I need a guide or a husband? There's plenty of guys who go and do it by themselves, but there aren't any women. And that just didn't sit right with me, so I wanted to come back and I wanted to contribute to bringing more women out there, that's what I do now. I, you know, I bring women's teams into the high mountains when I'm not going off and trying to to do FKTs on my own. But, you know, you were asking about how it feels as a an endurance athlete who's pushing for those kind of missions. Um, in a way, as I said, it, it feels quite similar to my old job. But at the same time, I just continuously struggle to wrap my head around what I would call not the gender gap but the confidence gap. Because when I look at the missions that I go off on, as I said, like I don't like acute risk. I'm very aware of the things that I take on. I'm very aware of the consequences. I try to really strategize and be smart about what I do. And yet it seems like, you know, even though I would consider those things not particularly risky, it seems like there are a lot of women who look at those kind of missions and they say, oh God, that that looks really scary and hard and you're by yourself. And, you know, I, I'd never be able to do that. I'd never want to do that. And I think that's just driven by um, by kind of a general lack of confidence among our gender. This is a terrific clarification. So you're really contributing a lot to the adventure game, the fastest known uh, time game, because of that perspective you just offered. One, you identified the acute risk versus the long-term, more manageable risks. Mm-hmm. The one, the type that you can engage your experience and planning to uh, mitigate, and also the aspect that one could note, there's very few, relatively few FKTs by women. Yeah, absolutely. And, <laughs> and this is a very interesting topic because I've noticed this for some time, yeah. and yet physically there's almost no difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's almost no difference at all. Women are crushers. Yeah. But what you just said, there is a little bit of a gap. The adventure component, there's the, this self-supported component, the risk component, Mm, a little more shyness in that category. You know, 
you were asking about um, if I was buying a Sprinter van, and I said that I felt like I hadn't earned it yet, right? When you look at my resume, um, I think that really is driven home by the fact that when you look at the FKTs that I have, I don't think that I've earned those FKTs because I'm the strongest or the fastest. I've earned those FKTs because, in all honesty, they were low-hanging fruit in a lot of cases because there were either no women or relatively few other women who'd been willing to go out there and you know spend the time in the mountains, spend the time on those particular trails in those harsh environments to familiarize themselves with the setting and then just say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to try and go for it. Right, right. Well, we don't have statistics on FKTs. It would be interesting to compile. One could do so. In fact, if uh, someone wants to go to our website, fastestknowntime.com, under the athlete page, they can find you. Mm -hmm. They can find all the athletes there. And someone could actually make a, a statistical analysis of that. In terms of running, it's fairly dramatic. I think in the 5K to half marathons, it's 54% are female. Oh, wow. As you go into ultras, that drops. Hard rock, it's down to more like 15%. Yeah. And FKTs so far are much less. Again, we have to emphasize that physically, no, no, that's, that's not the issue at all. I always thought it might be social. That That is, again, obviously a generality, that a lot of women are more social, <clears throat> that they like to be around other women and, and have a conversation and so forth. And so that is somewhat limiting in that regard. I think it might be social, but in a way I also feel like it's just a, a general mindset, at least in my circles. I've started to build um, friendships in the sport where I've seen more stronger, more gung-ho women who are willing to go out there and go for it themselves and just push hard no matter what because they say, I'm just as good as any guy. Why shouldn't I be able to do this, right? But I still find that that's the exception rather than the rule. I find that most of the time, women are much more likely to get out and go do something if they have somebody they can do it with, not necessarily for the social or conversational aspect, but more for the safety and the comfort aspect, I think. So, you know, when you're thinking about a mission like the, the Pfiffner Traverse that I just completed um, a couple of weeks ago, I was out there for 55 hours, start to finish by myself, you know, I had to go through right two, through the night two nights actually, right, 55 hours, um, through forested valleys in bear country and everything. And do I love that? No, I don't, right? But it's not enough of a deterrent for me to not go after a big goal. Whereas I feel like for a number of women still, the idea of having to go through something like that by themselves is enough to make them say, you know what, I'd, I'd rather just not even try because that'll be uncomfortable. Nice. That makes sense. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, what hmm, this is an interesting. Thanks for elucidating this this little bit of a gap there. And again, there's no no reason to close the gap. I mean, people are going to do whatever they like, whatever moves them, whatever motivates them. So I would never try to encourage anyone to do anything. But I, it is fun to kind of hear your perspective of what the differences are. The way I think about it is that there are different predispositions between men and women, right? So I would never expect to see 50-50 or 51-49 parity in these extreme environments because I do think that, you know, women have a more more social and kind of different 
preferences aspect to them. However, I do think that what we see today, not just in the sport of ultra running or you know the pursuit of setting FKTs, but generally in the more extreme pursuits, we have such a large gender gap where we're nowhere near parity that I'm willing to bet that there is a large percentage of women who have an interest in going after those things, but they don't quite know how to get there, how to make it happen, how to you know acquire the necessary confidence and the skills to be out there on their own and feel confident um, going after those big missions. So that's one of the reasons that I think that having female role models in the sport is extremely important. Well, you're definitely a role model. And if any uh, uh, ladies who are listening disagree with that assessment, we lady, we ladies, we expect to see your name appear on the fastestknown.com website here in the near future. It's a it's a, it's an open field, isn't it, Sunny? It's it's really fun. All you have to do is think of something that motivates you, that turns you on, that inspires you. And figure it out. It's one of our themes. Learn, grow, and explore. And that's part of it. It's not just physical, is it? It's very much a learning and growing and exploring. And then send it in. And Absolutely. there you'll be. You'll, you're, you'll be immortalized. <laughs> yes, indeed. You can own your own Astro Van. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, I think that there is a really fun local challenge right now that I would expect to see a lot of competition for, but there isn't any activity, and that's the FKT on the Mesa Trail. Ah. I don't know if you've looked at that recently, but the men's FKT on the Mesa Trail is what? It's an hour and change, mm-hmm. right? It's fast. It's fast. The women's FKT is just over three hours, I believe, right? For 12 miles with, yeah, elevation change. but Low-hanging fruit. It is low-hanging fruit. Why aren't there more FKTs out there? I considered going out and going after it, but then I was like, well... I don't know. That's not my specialty in running. I'm not a fast runner. I'm a mountain runner, right? However, I know that there's tons of crusher ladies in Boulder. Where's the Mesa Trail FKT? There you go. Well, go, uh, listeners, make sure you go to fastestknowntime.com and have a look. at The website's easy to navigate. And as many of our guests have said, you don't have to set an FKT to enjoy it. It's just like in a race. You're not probably not going to win the race, but that doesn't mean you're not going to participate. And so the role model that you're setting, Sonny, is for other men and women to say, wow, this looks like fun. This looks cool. They don't have to beat your time. They can go out there and use this as a guide to what's fun. Though if they do work on any of the projects that I've worked on, chances are they will beat my time because (laughs) my times are not particularly fast. (laughs) Nice. That's That's a humble perspective. But you're shifting gears, according to your website, and you're leading trips now, a number of some co-ed trips as well as some female-specific trips. Mm-hmm. That's accurate. Um, as I said, I, I have the desire to bring more women into the mountains, not just by telling stories about the things that I do out there, but very directly by providing a platform for others to say, oh, you know, here's a group. It's going to be predominantly female or all female. And we're going off and we're doing a big mountain that I've been interested in. And this is a safe environment to go and have fun and kind of push the comfort zones um, within our own gender. Right? So that's something that I've been doing for the last about two and a half years now. And um, I'm going back to Aconcagua to the 360 route in February. Um, I'm planning a Nepal trip in the fall of next year, as well as a number of other missions. And that's just you know, something that that I think is the small part that I can contribute to not just talking about the fact that there's a gender gap, but trying to do something to help close it. Now, the 
Aconcagua trip and the Nepal trip, those are group trips. That is accurate, yes. And there's still availability? There is availability, yes. Okay. All right. So people can go to your website and easily find that. Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, what's, uh, what's next for you? We've already talked about a few things. That you're, you're doing these group trips. You're working your way up to a sprinter van. Um, <laughs> maybe you'll start with a tra- Ford Transit, and then. Uh, but I'm, I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> it is true. I'm. I am working my way up slowly but surely. <laughs> but I, I am kidding, of course. Uh, but uh, you know, there's some truth to it. I think I. I really would have felt inappropriate rolling up to the crag or to the trailhead in a big sprinter van just having quit my corporate job, right? So I feel like... Four-wheel drive. Exactly. Yeah, that that just wouldn't have felt right. But, you know, gradually, I'm I'm getting to a point where it might be a little satellite dish on the roof. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, TV all kitted out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sorry about that. But uh, other than that, uh, what what, what other missions, in addition to your group-led trips, do you see in the next uh, year? On the personal front, there are a couple of things that I want to do. Uh, One of them is that after focusing my time mostly on running and endurance in the last six to 12 months, I actually want to spend a lot more time climbing um, in the next year. That's one of the reasons that my husband and I are hitting the road to just climb and run, but primarily climb full time. Um, And we talked about my differentiation between slow risk, which I think I'm pretty good at, and acute risk, which I'm terrible at. So I'd like to get better and stronger um, as a leader on uh, on technical rock, Uh, do more big wall climbs. I've done a couple of those, but, you know, I really enjoy the the strategic aspect I guess to big walling and to to big long climbs over multiple di- multiple days. So are you heading to the valley this fall? Yeah, we'll be in Yosemite for all of October. Um, I'm hoping to finally climb the nose. I've been up El Capitan twice, but I haven't yet climbed the nose. So I'd like to do that with a woman partner that I'm still looking for. So if there's any climbers listening, her okay looking for a female partner, um, I'd be I'd be keen. Um, and then beyond the climbing. Uh, There are a couple of things that I would love to do in the endurance realm. By far the biggest and the one that I've talked about for a little while, but that's really difficult to make happen is um, I'd love to go to Antarctica. Antarctica. And I'd like to attempt the speed record from the coast to the pole. Really? On skis, yes. That's a big project. I think that would be incredibly difficult, not so much on the physical front, well, it would be incredibly difficult on the physical front, but just psychologically. You know, the way I'm envisioning the project is I'd, I'd like to be out there and try for it solo. That tends to be my style, with support, of course, in a mission like that. You can't really go unsupported. I guess you could, but it makes everything it much you, more consequential. It if you count eating your sled dogs or not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to be out there and, and try being in an environment like that by myself for over a month. You wow. know, just putting down big mileage each day in super harsh conditions and seeing if I can do it. Wow, that's a big project. Yeah. You mentioned a few things. Is there another one besides... Well, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm a little intimidated by the South Pole. I want something else to, uh, to leave this time. I'm, I'm getting shivers already. <laughs> well, beyond the, the South Pole, or before the South Pole is what I should say, is there are other missions that intrigue me, but they, they feel a little bit more like training missions and preparation, right? So one of them is um, in Nepal. There are two particular runs that I have my eyes on. One of them is going back to the Annapurna circuit where I do hold the women's FKT. 
And um, I did it in, I think, 95 hours and change um, while sleeping along the way. The overall record held by men, of course, um, currently is around 68 hours, I believe, with pretty much no sleep. That's fast. That's fast. And so they're going over Throng La, which is a memory. I mean, I didn't, but that was like 80 years ago or so. Uh, and remember Throng La being about uh, 17,200 feet? I think it's 176. 17.6, that's up there. It's, it's tall for sure. But, you know, what I'm thinking is I might have a shot at the overall FKT. Ah. So that would be something that I'm interested in. And then the Dalagiri circuit, which is next door, doesn't yet have a women's FKT. and looks like a super beautiful run, um, right. you know, about the same length. The They're same right FKT. across the Kaligandaki Gorge from each other. Exactly. Wow. So I'd love to get on both of those. Wow. Well, there's a lot of room to maneuver in Nepal, isn't there? Oh, yeah. And then the Great Himalayan Trail, of course. You know, that's a, a whole different story. The GHT is a whole yeah, different story. That wow. would be a cool project. Wow. Well, that's... Uh, that, wow. I mean, you, you got my head spinning here, Sonny. <laughs> you've, you've kind of got me thinking about these amazing places you're thinking of going and now you got me thinking of going to them also. Well, you've been to them all. Well, no, not, not all. <laughs> not, not, not quite. Uh, well, thanks. This is extremely inspiring. Thank you, Buzz. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. And, and, and uh, we look forward to going to the, the website and, and seeing your athlete page keep filling out here. This is, uh, <laughs> this is a delight. I'll keep working on it. Thanks, Sonny. <laughs> Thank you, Buzz. I hope you've gotten some good ideas for your next big run. Subscribe to this podcast so you can find out what's cool every week. It will be delivered to you each Friday. And definitely go to fastestknowntime.com to read the notes from this show and ask questions or make comments on what you've heard today. There are FKTs being reported daily that are incredible, but you maybe have never heard of them. So stay up on what is happening on this website and follow us on Twitter, the Gram, and Facebook. Many people have thanked us for this work, and you can too by clicking support this site at the bottom of the webpage. Tune in next Friday. It's going to be fast and good. <laughs>